Hi, I'm Alicia Michalisic-Gonzalez, an emergency physician and the clinical training lead for the California Bridge Program. And this is episode four of our Emerging Trends training series, Innovations in Post-Overdose Care. Today, we are joined by two awesome California emergency docs, Amy Moulin and Leslie Mukau, for a conversation in an FAQ on caring for our patients and starting MAT in perhaps one of the most important moments that we can, immediately after reversing overdose with naloxone or Narcan. This audio was recorded during a live virtual training session in March of 2022. So please note, any brand names used by our guests are just out of habit and there are no actual financial disclosures for myself or either of our guests today. Let's start by having our guests introduce themselves. We'll start with Dr. Amy Moulin. Thank you. So excited to be here. And I love watching the chat and someone from Hawaii. I love you and I'm jealous. Um, so I'm an emergency physician here in Sacramento at UC Davis, and I'm one of our California Bridge directors. So I'm going to turn it over to Leslie, and I'm also going to share my screen and just do like short slides. Good morning, everybody. I'm Leslie Mukau. Think of a cow and moo. I'm also an emergency physician with the UC San Diego Health and their Central Regional Medical Center, and I'm a regional director with California Bridge. Nice for you to join us today. Yes, and we've got people from Hawaii all the way to Maine. I don't know if you guys saw that. We are spanning the entire country, and we have somebody from Canada. We love this. Um, and so we talked about so many different topics about fentanyl in our last couple of sessions, and today we're talking about post-overdose care. Amy, why does this topic warrant 30 minutes all on its own? Actually, I think this topic warrants like a whole day, but that's <laughs> just me. And I actually, what I hope that you walk away from this is just to understand this topic, that overdose and actually opioid use disorder is a life-threatening emergency that is part of your practice in emergency medicine. So let me just walk you through a couple things, because this is a bit of a frame shift for us in emergency medicine. But let's just start to think about, like, what do I do as an emergency physician? I manage life-threatening conditions, and I, I do whatever I can to mitigate the risk that my patient will die, particularly the next 30 days, right? That's kind of what I own. And what do we know about addiction? Addiction is fatal. This is from the New York Times. Over 100,000 Americans died from drug overdoses last year. More than car accidents and firearms combined. Deaths have doubled since 2015. Addiction is fatal. And then this is really what has changed this for me is that when you see someone in your emergency department who has overdosed, their risk of death in the next year is about 5%. With most people dying in the first 30 days. And actually, there is a spike at two days. So when you see someone who is overdosed in your emergency department, you have just identified someone with a life-threatening condition who is at high risk for death and death in the next 48 hours after discharge. And what else do I know? Addiction is actually treatable. So this is the JAMA study that shows if you start someone on buprenorphine, 78% of them are going to be engaged in follow-up. Treatment saves lives. Um, so people who are treated with buprenorphine have a decreased risk of overdose and a decreased risk of death. And so all of a sudden, you take those things together, and I have this 
life-threatening condition that has a high risk of mortality, short-term mortality, that is treatable where I could actually mitigate that risk of death. And all of a sudden, this becomes my job. And so I'm hoping that you take from here that we should do what we do best, which is bring together that amazing, urgent, team-based approach to people who are at high risk of death to mitigate their mortality. And that is post-overdose care, what we're going to talk about today. Um, So just thank you for listening to my soapbox, but I hope that you take this with you. Like, this is someone whose life you can save um, quite rapidly and quite easily, as it turns out. So I'm going to turn it back over to you, Alicia. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, really what I'm hearing you say is the moment where we see somebody post-overdose is akin to when we see someone with high-risk chest pain or an N-STEMI, right? Not full-blown STEMI, but you're seeing stress on the heart or a TIA, even though it wasn't a full stroke. I mean, Leslie, what is? why do you think that we're here talking about this as its own topic today? Well, as you can imagine, you know, one of the things I, I enjoy being an emergency physician and also um, you, um, you know, that we have some nurse practitioners and PAs with us. One of the most important things is, um, you know, all of a sudden somebody's brought into your ED and um, they've just died. They almost literally died right on the brink of death. And then they've been saved by one of our second most important medications, naloxone. I mean, how exciting is that? And now they are just before you, you know, and you can do something about it. You can change the dynamic just as um, Amy was saying. And, um, you know, you can give them buprenorphine and you have an opportunity to completely change their life and save them from death. So this is why we are here today. It's very important. You need to start buprenorphine right after overdose. It's safe, very safe. And we'll be hammering that point today. Yeah. So this feels like a really, um, whenever I think about it, it's like very elegant, right? Someone literally goes from being dead to being resuscitated by naloxone to seeing us and then started on life-saving treatment, which Amy just showed us. There's perfectly great evidence out there showing it does save lives. So Let's talk about the ideal encounter, okay? Bless. Somebody comes in, a patient overdosed, they were resuscitated by naloxone, right? Common brand name Narcan. And so maybe that was done by a paramedic or a cop or a family member or us. I mean, in the ER, sometimes it's us. And now we've given them that that medication and here you are. What happens next? What does that encounter look like for you in your practice? Again, I'm going to uh, sound like a broken record today. Forgive me, but... Start buprenorphine. Start buprenorphine. Already they've uh, received, uh, you know, Narcan, which is an antagonist, and it's safe to start buprenorphine because naloxone is now occupying all those receptors. So you don't worry about, you know, buprenorphine uh, making your patient dead again. It's actually going to save your patient. You do not need to worry about them being sleepy and that you are going to sedate them some more. No, start buprenorphine. (laughs) It's a partial agonist. So it sounds like you see the patient, they've already received a full antagonist, right? Kicked off the full agonist, whatever their opioid was, fentanyl, et cetera. And so it's safe 
to give buprenorphine. Um, there are a couple of good questions in the chat that say, though, what if my patient doesn't look like they're in withdrawal, though? Like, I gave them a medicine to bring them in withdrawal. Am I not going to precipitate withdrawal after Narcan because they don't look so bad? And then if I give them buprenorphine, what, what's the deal with that? I love this question about precipitated withdrawal. And this is the very beginning, like as emergency physicians, y'all precipitate withdrawal every day. That is what you just did. So every overdose that you reverse with Narcan, you precipitated withdrawal. So you know what precipitated withdrawal looks like, right? That's the person who immediately feels awful, chills, sweats, vomiting. You do it a lot. Um, our EMS colleagues are really the experts at precipitating withdrawal. So almost always, if someone has been reversed with a high-dose naloxone, you precipitated withdrawal. And so now you can only make things better um, because you've kind of done the worst thing possible, or at least you know someone along the the chain of trajectory has done the worst thing possible. And you now have someone who is in precipitated withdrawal and you can only make it better by starting buprenorphine. Yes. And I can add to Alicia that, you know, okay, if they are sleepy, that's all right. You can observe them. Remember, they almost died. And you can keep them there until they are uh, ready to uh, wake up and talk with you and then introduce buprenorphine to them. And also remember, you have your son, substance use navigator. If somebody, you feel that, you know, they cannot start right away, that's okay. There is time. Just make sure that, you know, you communicate with them, you contact them, either day one or the second day and just have your son talk to them again. And in these days, you can send that buprenorphine to the pharmacy electronically. I just want to answer one more question about, because I think there's a lot of questions about um, buprenorphine versus naloxone. Lots. So someone has overdosed. You've reversed that overdose with naloxone. So all those... You had those opioid mu receptors, which were overbound with full agonist, fentanyl, heroin, whatever. You gave them Narcan and you kicked all of that off. Um, and so now what you have are these opioid receptors that have naloxone bound to them that is blocking it. Buprenorphine is this really magical molecule that has the highest affinity for those receptors. So buprenorphine comes in and it gets rid of everything. So it will block the naloxone, it will block the heroin, it will block the fentanyl. Um, and as someone mentioned there, if you give a high enough dose of buprenorphine, block all of those receptors, it's actually long acting. And so it will block all of those receptors up to, you know, 24, even longer if you're giving a higher dose of buprenorphine. So let's say that your patient took a long acting opioid. You reversed it, blocked them with buprenorphine. You've now actually prevented that long acting opioid from rebinding to those receptors. Does that make sense? Um, If your person is on... so. If someone's taking methadone, so there's a question here of like starting someone who's on methadone. So someone who's on long-term methadone maintenance therapy, um, usually will you switching to buprenorphine is a little bit different. But if someone's overdosed, life has been saved with naloxone. Damage has been done. You have precipitated withdrawal. And now it is important for you to treat the precipitated withdrawal. And really what we want to talk about is preventing the next overdose and preventing death. So like your job is not done. You saved the immediate life, but now we got to talk about future death. 
Um, yeah. And we got to present that person from dying tomorrow. There are tons of questions in this chat that go into really nitty gritty details. And I think what I want to do is summarize a few of the points that Les and Amy just made to address most of them, which is it doesn't matter what the patient has in their system. Like we say, we worry about giving buprenorphine in the setting of methadone because we don't want to, you know, mess with that. But you already gave naloxone. Naloxone wins. It kicked off everything, whether they have fentanyl in their bloodstream, in their fat stores, whether they've took street buprenorphine, they took, you know, fentanyl, they took heroin, they took methamphetamines. You already did it. You gave the naloxone. So every opioid and every other drug, it doesn't matter. You got there. And now you have about an hour where that's just the situation you're living in. And so if you give buprenorphine, it's stronger than fentanyl. It's stronger than methadone. And so whatever is built up in their body and their fat stores, et cetera, this is your window, your high-risk window to get that buprenorphine in there, protect their airway, start them on treatment, keep them from going into horrible withdrawal in the future, um, and be able to have that conversation, right? So what I do want to do is shift gears. Like we're making it sound really simple and really easy, but sometimes, not from a medical perspective, but more a an environmental perspective, um, these don't always go so smoothly, right? So the ideal picture that Les described is like they got naloxone, they woke up, maybe they're kind of sleepy, you let them wake up a while. Again, they almost just died. So we don't have to rush them out of our ER, give them a beat, have them talk to your substance use navigator. Ideally, you have one um, or even just, you know, you take the time to talk to them, start them on treatment. Beautiful. But what about the patients that didn't know they were coming to the ER, right? They didn't overdose on purpose. EMS comes, gave them Narcan. They're pissed. They're like yanking off their things. Like, I didn't want to be in the hospital. This is not where I wanted to be. It's not going the way that you would hope in this beautiful, magical moment. What do you do then? What do you do in those scenarios? Yes. So like, let's be honest with ourselves frequently. um, So we've seen precipitated withdrawal. That is precipitated withdrawal and it is ugly and it is really hard for the patient. So ideally, the ideal situation, you did a little bit of a slow reversal and a soft landing into buprenorphine. That's not what happens a lot of the times because someone has just died, as Leslie mentioned. And so, you know, we're not always gentle with how we save someone's life. And that is okay. Um, and so I have, you know, many times we will see that patient who there's just really in that moment, very little you can do from keeping them from walking out the door. I get a phone number. I call them for sure. Like this is someone you are following up with. I call them. So my practice is you're an overdose patient. I get a phone number. I get a contact. I get a friend. I get a street corner and I call them at 24 hours. Um, because a lot of times you will find that person post 24 hours they have managed their symptoms and you can then again re-engage them. Because what I want to do is save that person's life. And the other piece is Narcan. They need to leave with Narcan. So as they're leaving, I'm shoving Narcan in their bag, staple it to the back of their shirt because that person needs Narcan. Because we need yes. to, they do not want them to walk out and overdose again. I just need to save their life until they can answer the phone and I can try buprenorphine again. But at the very least, they need to walk out with Narcan. Um, and, you know, certainly like it's frequently very hard. It's really uncomfortable when someone has precipitated withdrawal from Narcan. Um, so at least being able to prevent that second withdrawal, I think, is really critical. Great. Agree, Agree completely. Awesome. I love that so much. The key is do what you can in the moment that you have, right? And I know when we were planning for today, we also talked about that sometimes um, 
if we have good information, we can always call the next day, right? Maybe that day, that moment wasn't right for them. So Les, you mentioned the importance of having a navigator or having that follow-up. What does that look like for you? The patient gets angry, they leave, you staple and locks into their backpack and they're gone. Now what? What is your strategy for that person? So my strategy is, you know, you always want to uh, just be gentle with them. Remember some of them, you know, they have been enjoying that high, quote-unquote, and now some of them actually are pissed that you woke them up, but you know they are not really thinking properly at this time. But in a few hours, it will dawn upon them, hey, I almost died. And hey, some people actually brought me back to a life. I'm now smelling the flowers. So if you call them later that day or in the following day, you may be talking to a completely different person than the one who left cussing and banging all doors. So just keep on calling, talk to them, and uh, you'll see that actually there will be a different person, and then you can continue with the uh, discussion of uh, buprenorphine and MAT. And that, that question got asked just now in the chat, and I think let's address it openly. So someone refuses bup in the ER or they leave angry, maybe you try to call them. Do you ever do the cell-star doses for those patients? What, what does that look like? Yes. So I, a hundred percent, right? So person is leaving. You say, okay, you know, you absolutely have the right to leave. We try and do everything we can to stop that person, change their mind, everything we possibly can. I'm stapling Narcan to their shirt and send a prescription to the pharmacy to say like, hey, if you have any interest at all, here's the navigator's phone number. I sent a prescription to buprenorphine. I print out a sheet, put it in their bag and say, hey, you change your mind tomorrow morning. Here's where it is. It's in the pharmacy. You can pick it up. Please come back tomorrow. We're happy to start you. And I will call and follow up and say like, hey, if you wanted to start, guess what? It's ready for you at the pharmacy. You can go get it. Um, so a hundred percent. Like I think that the message that I want you to give from this is your patient just died and they're at high risk for death. And everything that we possibly can do to mitigate that risk of death is really our job. Um, and falls solidly within our practice of emergency medicine because really what we're all about is just keeping people alive. Yeah, so I think uh, an interesting memory that I'll share for any of my clinical people on the on the line and watching and even our nurses too, like how long was our approach to these patients like Narcan, get off the gurney, leave the ER, right? Like that was the plan. I like, I can remember in residency being trained to go find the patient on the gurney and be like, are you awake now? Do you want to go home and discharge them off the EMS gurney? Like that is, this is a huge shift for us, um, which is the right one to think about. This is a high risk medical situation the same way as somebody who has high-risk chest pain who tells you, I don't want to stay in the hospital. You're going to sit and talk to them, right, for a long time. Like, I'm concerned about you. I think you might have a heart attack. This is the same thing. It's just a little bit different where they're not going to have a heart attack, but you're saying, I'm really worried about you. You almost died today. And like, I, you know, I'm not here to, to lecture you. I'm really concerned about your safety. And we know that a lot of people in the next 48 hours go on to overdose and die. Can we talk about how to prevent that? That's all. I don't want you to die. And so if you can sort of shift that narrative and give that patient the same level of attention that you would chest pain or diabetes or stroke, that's what we're trying to do here, right? Is make this, attend to it the way that we would any other high-risk patient. 
Um, and, and in that, I mean, we're talking about how these presentations are complicated. Um, Amy, I think you mentioned this to me once, and I, it became a part of my practice that we talk about suicide and depression risk, right, in these patients. Can you talk, tell the group a little bit about some of your reflections in yeah. that? So we know that patients who post overdose die. Um, we know that they die from, we know that they die from overdose. We don't always know what, what led to that overdose. So frequently, if you look, there's a lot of overlap between an accidental overdose and an intentional overdose or a semi-intentional overdose. And so one of the key pieces is, this is my ideal situation. Someone overdosed. We reversed them, but we did a soft landing. So it wasn't a hard, you know, all the Narcan that I have overdose, but a softer overdose, a little bit of withdrawal, managed with buprenorphine, a soft landing, and then address like, what are the underlying causes here? I'm going to manage your withdrawal symptoms, try and get you into treatment, but then let's have the conversation like, was this suicide? And so we have recognized that this is a population where we need to do suicide screening. So we are using... So we do um, suicide screening for a lot of our behavioral health patients, but to include our patients with substance use disorder, particularly the overdose patients. So we're doing depression suicide screening in this population and finding a lot of overlap where this was a semi-intentional overdose of someone who says like, I just can't live like this anymore. I can't do it anymore. And they have access to lethal means. Um, and so just to kind of think about like your person who's using opioids has every day access to means to kill themselves readily available. And so this is just by existence, a really high risk population. We're using the Columbia suicide screening, um, is the one that we're using in our emergency department. And I, I want to put a plug out for that one. The Columbia suicide screening is evidence-based. Um, and this is not the same as when the nurses in California, I feel so bad for all the documentation they're forced to do, but they're like, um, do you have any allergies? Do you have any medical history? Do you feel like killing yourself or anybody else today? Cool. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about an honest, you know, sincere conversation uh, in the context of this moment where we take it very seriously. This person almost died and that they could die uh, in the very near future if we don't do something. So I want to put a plug in there that this is not quite the same as that like suicide or emotional screening that we're talking about is mandated. This is real. Pull up the tool, sit down, talk to your patient. Um, Les, something else you mentioned that I learned from you that I really love is like, I also don't have to send this person home, right? Like I'm not admi like, admitting every single person that almost overdosed, but tell me a little bit about what might make me think this person maybe shouldn't go home today. What, is, what does that look like for you in your practice? Right, so we've brought in a scenario where somebody still feels very sleepy, you feel that they are not too safe to go home, and you are kind of hesitant about starting buprenorphine, so it's okay. Remember, this patient almost died. So you can have a slow reversal, you can observe them in your ED, you can um, you know, admit them for a short stay, that's okay. So, you know, just watch them. And um, when they are ready, then you can continue the conversation. That's great. So some patients just won't be ready to go today. <laughs> and that's okay, right? That's okay. We don't have to shove everybody out the door all the time. So, all right, we are getting close on time. I want to give us a beat to say, recap, this is a medical emergency, Post-overdose is a medical emergency. This is literally a near-death experience. 
we should take it as seriously as we do cardiac, hyperglycemia, TIA, all these things that are um, very close to being the end for somebody. Um, and we treat that very seriously. We should treat this very seriously. Um, everybody leaves its naloxone, staple to their backpack. Don't be afraid of starting treatment. What other take-home points? Less, if you could say one thing from this lecture, your favorite thing, like what is it you want people to take away? Every patient they see post-overdose, what do they do? You know what I'm going to say? That's definitely <laughs> nothing. <laughs> it's safe. It's safe, right? It's very safe. Yeah. Start build, start build. Yes. And then what about you, Amy? I would say so. Absolutely. Start buprenorphine, start buprenorphine, start buprenorphine, and naloxone. Give them naloxone. They need to walk out of naloxone. This is your patient with a bee sting who had a little allergic reaction, and I make sure that they have plenty of EpiPens. This is the same. They should have Narcan on them. Their family should have Narcan. Their friends should have Narcan. So the same way that I think about a little bee sting, maybe you had a reaction, maybe it'll happen again, and I make sure that you have EpiPens throughout your life. This is real. This person needs Narcan, and they might actually need it tomorrow. Um, and so everything that you need to do to keep that person alive is really our goal. And that is why we exist in the emergency department is exactly this person. Absolutely. There was one more thing that got um, raised in the chat that I we had discussed previously, and I want to just throw it out there. Um, there's a question about ethics. So is it is it ethical to start somebody on buprenorphine? Like sometimes after we give the naloxone, they're kind of drowsy, maybe a little out of it. Maybe it's not their best moment. What do we think about starting buprenorphine on those patients? Anything you would say about that? Um, so I'm not giving IV buprenorphine yet to someone for reversal. So I'm still saying like, hey, I'm going to start you on buprenorphine to help treat your withdrawal um, and to help make you feel better. I am not saying in this moment, hey, did you want to enter a long-term treatment program and sign your life away and commit to, you know, commit to counseling every week and urine tox screens. I'm saying to that person, hey, I'd like to give you some buprenorphine to help make you feel better and prevent you from withdrawing again. So that's that's the conversation that I'm having. I'm not having a, hey, you're going to enter a treatment program and decide right now in the next 30 seconds. Um, so I'm still having a conversation with them, but this is about symptom management and the beginning of a conversation, not the end. Perfect. And there are a lot of questions about specific details, like how much, et cetera. What I would tell all of you is don't forget that we have so many wonderful clinical resources available to you that walk through those details, like how much bup, the timing, all of that. We also have a specific one for starting buprenorphine after a naloxone resuscitation. So that's there for you. Our website is um, sort of down for today, but bookmark these things in your head later and check in a couple of days. And if you need specific technical assistance, there were questions we did not answer. You're having trouble, you know, getting naloxone or getting your docs um, on board, maybe with giving the buprenorphine after naloxone. They need to hear this training. Request that technical assistance from us. We're happy to support you. Here's that QR code so you can contact us that way. Um, and yeah, hopefully well, our big takeaway, right, is this is important. This is a moment we should treat very seriously. Still, the answer is buprenorphine. It's evidence-based. It's good. Even if what we're doing is rescuing them in that moment, helping prevent the next 24-hour overdose because you gave buprenorphine in the ED, maybe they're not ready for long-term treatment. 
But don't lose those patients. Get their info. Call them. See how they're doing in a couple of days. And everybody gets naloxone. You get naloxone and you get naloxone. And everybody goes home with naloxone. If you're looking for more, we're going to come back with um, another precipitated withdrawal case series that we'll talk through. We're going to bring back um, some of your favorite speakers. Dr. Um, Moulin is going to come back with us again to talk through the map menu, different kinds of uh, ways you can approach medication for addiction treatment with our patients that might not be the quick start guide perfect. So get excited. So much more to talk about. If you need us, here's how you can get a hold of us uh, online and otherwise. And thank you as always for doing this work with us. We're always happy to see you here. Thanks, guys. Bye, everybody. Thank you. That is it for today. Hopefully, you are convinced that it is time to start treating patients post-opioid overdose the same way that we do other high-risk patients in our hospital. High-risk chest pain, TIA, really high blood sugar, etc. All of these patients have a high risk of death in the coming days after we see them, with overdose being no different. It's a critical time for us to help our patients, and we can literally save lives. And hopefully now you also feel less worried and more confident about actually starting that buprenorphine in that moment. I mean, you already precipitated withdrawal by giving naloxone, a full antagonist, knocking off any opioid in their system right on off those opioid receptors. So it's totally safe to reoccupy those receptors with buprenorphine. You'll make patients feel better and stay safe after they leave. If you're looking for a full copy of our buprenorphine post-overdose clinical protocol, you can find it along with all of our other clinical resources at cabridge.org. And if you like this format of learning and you want more, great, join us. We are not done and we have so much other good stuff coming. For a full list of our upcoming trainings, head to cabridge.org and click on training. Do you need technical assistance or have other questions that we didn't answer? We're here for you. Connect with us through the California Bridge website or email us info at cabridge.org. Thank you to Drs. Amy Moulin and Leslie Mukau for sharing their wisdom with us today, to Marco Gonzalez, our sound engineer for this episode, and to all of you. Thank you for continuing to be here and for doing this work with us. We'll see you next time. California Bridge is a program of the Public Health Institute, which promotes health, well-being, and quality of life for people throughout California, across the nation, and around the world. Copyright California Department of Healthcare Services.